Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader. I just wanted to thank everybody who has uh, gotten in touch with me about uh, various shows I've done. I always appreciate comments. And um, if you want to get in touch with me about anything you hear on one of these programs, and I welcome it, go to my website, which is the Fader Files, the Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, and you can... Get in touch with me, join my mailing list, read some of my blog articles, comment, look at uh, other things I do in the world, photography and a few other things. Um, The election will be part of the discussion this morning. 
Although it does seem like it's moved into, uh, with Trump as uh, almost 99% guaranteed the candidate, or maybe he already is the candidate guaranteed, it's moved into fantasy and science fiction. But that's almost inevitable, considering American culture. Sometimes I wonder if, um, if is it in the Constitution or is there a federal law that says that every four years the American public uh, will elect as president the lesser of two evils? How long has this been going on? <laughs> will it always be going on? Well, there are other parties in the world. There are other political parties in the United States. This is not a parliamentary system like in Europe, although a lot of people wish it was, and sometimes I do too. Very often I do. There are other parties, and there is the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, uh, primary among them. Today we have with us Scott McClarty, who is the media coordinator for the Green Party of the United States and also for the D.C. Statehood Green Party. Hi. Hello. Hi, you there? Yes, I'm right here. Okay, and I'm right here, so that makes two of us. Um, there's a quote, I don't know if it was from Truthout, if you had an interview or somebody called you for a comment from Truthout, but it says uh, there was an article the other day, third-party candidates may play a, la uh, a much larger role in the presidential race this year than in past election seasons. <clears throat> Republicans who can't stomach Donald Trump are rallying around calls to run an independent candidate against him. And one in four Bernie Sanders supporters polled last month said they would not vote for Hillary Clinton if she wins the Democratic nomination. The country's third largest parties, the Greens and the Libertarians, are betting that plenty of disgruntled voters can be peeled away from the major parties come November. And there's a quote from you here. This is the best election year ever because we are seeing a very possible crack-up at the Republican convention, and we are seeing a lot of frustration and disappointment regarding the Democratic Party convention, too. And uh, said Scott McClarty, a spokesman for the Green Party. And then it says, you say, and the Sanders campaign has just shown everybody that the Democratic Party's process is kind of rigged. How has, unless, of course, they mess with your quote, because there are, is some ellipsis here, how has the Sanders campaign shown that it's rigged? Do you mean the Clinton campaign has shown that it's rigged? Well, uh, what, the, what the Sanders campaign has done is that in, in being so successful, uh, it, it, it shows that the uh, Democratic Party has uh, actually rigged its nomination process through mainly through the superdelegate system, I which see. was uh, put into place during the 1970s uh, to prevent another McGovern, another very progressive Democrat, from uh, from emerging as the front runner and taking the nomination. Mm -hmm. And the superdelegates super are uh, establishment Democrats, uh, many of whom are in public office, who are who are going to be loyal to the party party and mm -hmm. loyal to the uh, to the the mainstream of the party uh, be loyal to candidates uh, such as Hillary Clinton let me give people a bit I was remiss give people a bit of your background um, we are listening to Scott McClarty who is the media coordinator for the Green Party of the United States and for the DC statehood Green Party <clears throat> and he's uh, written articles uh, guest columns and book reviews for Roll Call, Common Dreams, Z Magazine, um, In These Times, Counterpunch, etc. Uh, he joined the Green Party in 1996 and in 1998 ran for the Ward 1 seat on the City Council of District of Columbia. 
Um, speaking of conventions and primaries especially, uh, does the Green Party, pardon my ignorance, do they have primaries in each state? Do they have a convention? Uh, yeah, we participate in many states. We participate in the primary election system. In other states, uh, Green Parties hold statewide conventions and caucuses to uh, decide how to apportion their delegates for the Green Party convention. This year, the Green Party convention will take place uh, August 4th through 7th in Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we will choose the the Green presidential nominee. Um, is, uh, is it a foregone conclusion? I mean, I've, t I've interviewed... Um uh, Jill, before I'm, you know, uh, on the on the air, it seems to me she's almost a perennial candidate. Um, Jill Stein, is it? Last name Stein. Right? Uh, Jill Stein yeah. ran uh, in 2012 and received the Green nomination, yeah. and she decided to run again this year. She has a lot of very strong support within the party, and uh, so the odds are in her favor that uh, she will take the nomination. But we have some very we have some very good other candidates as well and uh, I hope people listen to them uh, uh, they bring a lot of new ideas a lot of interesting ideas a lot of new ways of approaching things to the green presidential race so it is a contested there's nothing there's no super delicate it's like a, it's a fairly contested uh, convention and primary system right yes you're right okay um, is there a green, and is there a green party slate for governors, senators, representatives, state offices? You know how, like all the way down the line, how extensive is it? Are you in every state? Uh, we don't exist in every state. We're in most states. Uh, we are uh, working on achieving ballot access in most states. Uh, if we can, maybe all fifty states plus the District of Columbia, where I live. Mm. Uh, we're already on the ballot here in D.C. Uh, in 2012, we had ballot access in 37 states, and uh, that number allowed the Green presidential candidate to receive votes from 82% of the electorate, if 82% of uh, voters had chosen to vote for uh, Dr. Stein. Mm -hmm. How many people did vote? Uh, what percentage of the electorate voted for, for her? Oh, it was a it was a fraction of one percent. Mm -hmm. uh, the the enthusiasm for Barack Obama uh, in 2008 and uh, 2012, uh, you know, was was so strong was so strong in those years that uh, that the our Green presidential candidate uh, didn't do very well. But you know, we still run presidential candidates and support that we run presidential candidates for some very specific reasons. Uh, first of all, the Green presidential nominee carries the banner for our party nationally, uh, lets people know everywhere where the Green Party stands and that uh, they have a choice outside of the uh, Democratic and Republican parties. The Green presidential candidates help our state Green parties achieve ballot access mm -hmm. and uh, make it easier for our uh, state and local candidates to run for office and sometimes win. Uh, in, in a few states, I understand that uh, it's necessary for the Green Party to have a presidential candidate on the ballot in order to receive major party status. Uh, Green Party candidates 
assist in uh, presidential candidates, assist in uh, promoting, raising money for our state and local candidates as well. The uh, This concept of voting for the lesser of two evils, which a lot of I felt that way with Obama, too, but I'm pretty, I suppose I'm pretty far left, although I don't like these kind of labels. But, uh, you know, he's he's part of the machine, obviously, you know, who he appointed when he first got in, who put him up there in the first place, people like Penny Pritzker, you know. I mean, he's part of the organization. And although he's done a lot of good things, he's also, you know, towed the line when it comes to income inequality, uh, not raising taxes or trying very hard to raise taxes, that kind of thing. You know, it's complicated with him because it's all this um, crazy Republican behavior and bigotry and all. But... Um, have you felt this way for a while, that when you vote for major party candidates, the two parties, that you're choosing the lesser of two evils for various reasons? Well, I think the principle here is that uh, people deserve the right to uh, to support and vote for the candidates who best serve their own interests and ideals. And they deserve the right to do so without being told that only two candidates are legitimate. Only mm-hmm. two candidates are worth voting for. Uh, so if you uh, if you feel constrained to vote for the lesser of two evils, you're you're sacrificing a, uh, a a very important right in a democracy, or in what's supposed to be a democracy. Mm. Uh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that uh, very often, not always, the uh, the uh, Democratic candidate is not as bad as the Republican candidate, but, uh, you know, we're seeing this year, we're we're seeing ideas that are brought into the forum by both the, uh, uh, by both Bernie Sanders and also by the Green, by the Green Party, they're, they're getting crushed by the, uh, by the Clinton campaign. For instance, single-payer national health care, also right. called Medicare for All. Right. We really need a discussion of Medicare for All in this country. I don't think we need a discussion. I think what we, we need, need it. more we than just, a discussion, yes. We just need it. But, yeah. but Hillary Clinton said we can never have uh, single-payer in the United States. And uh, well, yeah, you know. Not, you don't have you don't have to convince me or my listeners that, or a lot of my listeners I should say that Hillary Clinton is uh, you know the, the same old same old uh, except of course that if she is up against Trump a lot of people will feel that uh, now the question I want to ask you now, is and this comes down to I'm sorry go let's ahead cons- let's consider what's going to happen uh, with with this in uh, in beginning of September we're going to have uh, we're going to see the the presidential debates. Mm-hmm. And uh, the presidential debates are uh, are hosted, sponsored by the the Commission on Presidential Debates, the CPD, and they will limit the debates to both to only the Democratic and Republican nominees. Right. And and uh, in doing so, they are censoring the ideas that uh, the Green Party nominee would bring to that, including including single payer of course uh and in uh well also the libertarian the, the, party the, right this, and also the libertarian party yes uh the sanders campaign when it has has uh talked about creating a kind of a movement that lasts beyond the democratic convention right uh since we know that uh miss clinton at this point is uh 
pretty much assured the nomination. Now, will the Sanders movement uh, challenge the CPD to include the uh, the Green and Libertarian nominees? For the Sanders campaign not to do so would be to participate in the silencing of its own agenda. Well, have they uh, have they indicated they are going to join? And there's a, there's a lawsuit against the Federal Election Committee uh, Commission, right? There are two lawsuits against the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates mm-hmm. right now. The uh, the our initiative, the Our America Initiative, and the Level the Playing Field lawsuits. Well, so and, uh, Sanders is not obvious. He's not going to. And you talk about people, you know, doing things in their own self-interest. Um, well, I he suppo- said he's going to endorse the Democratic nominee. Oh, he did. So, in other words, he's not going to be joining any um, any lawsuits against the Federal Election Committee to include more people. <laughs> in my opinion, uh, we can expect Bernie Sanders to uh, to fall into line after the nomination takes place. I mean, he's, he pretty much said so. He has said it repeatedly that he's that he intends to uh, uh, support the Democratic nominee after the uh, nomination takes place. But well, would, would you? I mean, would you really ever expect somebody? Would you expect him to say, "Don't" or to all his supporters, "Don't don't turn out um, for uh, anybody," because you know Clinton is terrible. He's been t- talking about how terrible she is, and. In a lot of ways, she really is. She's one of the old boys' club, you know, despite the fact she's a woman. And, you know, and he's been railing against her connection to Wall Street. You know, we'll see those transcripts uh, the day that I start learning how to fly, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, w- 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 did anybody ever expect him to say to people, I mean, you know, don't turn out and vote for her? Because that would almost be the same as saying elect Trump, right? Well, from the Democratic point of view, yes, that would uh, it, it looks like you're saying go ahead and elect uh, Donald Trump, and of course Donald Trump is is pretty awful. He's uh, probably the most appalling candidate, maybe for any office that we've seen in uh, for any higher office that we've seen in many years. Yeah, well, I thought George Bush but, was it, but I guess Trump trumps him. So, yeah. uh, but, but the the question really is, why do we have to have this limited choice? Why? Well, why do we suffer a choice limited to somebody like Hillary Clinton versus someone like Donald Trump or or George W. Bush or uh, you know any number of other uh, Republican candidates? Uh, we really need something more than that, and uh, and simply voting for the simply voting for the lesser evil every election rubber stamps that limited choice. Well, um, a part of this has to do, or a lot of it has to do, with uh, the major media uh, companies that uh, host these debates, right? I mean, they should be sued, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the legal aspects of that, so I, so I, can't, re- I can't really say. The, the, the Commission on Presidential Debates took over the debates uh, from the League of Women Voters in 1988 for the express purpose of, uh, number one, limiting the, uh, limiting the debates to just a Democrat and Republican by uh, imposing very uh, strict criteria for participation, and number two, for making the debates as uh, innocuous and huh. inoffensive 
yeah. to uh, the, the two major parties and their corporate sponsors as possible. Yeah. How do you solve the world's problems? You have one minute. You know, I mean, geez, it's really insulting yes. to democracy and to the voters. I mean, you have, and you have 30 seconds to reply. I mean, that's not even a cartoon. You know, I, well, but, you're right. Let me ask you about the Green Party, uh, specifically um, when it comes to Sanders. I don't think that I've ever seen in my lifetime anybody in the Democratic Party who is as, um, who is as you know, in tune with uh, an entire part of the Democratic Party that has been left out all the time and always feels like they, you know, that their representative in the party has nothing to do with them. He's closer to people talking about income inequality, free college edu- education, all these things, uh, Medicare for all. He's saying things that no other Democratic Party candidate has said. Um, does that sort of take away from the, 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 the power and the, uh, the message of the Green Party right now? Uh, not really, and the reason is because that uh, Mr. Sanders is not going to get very far in the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, he has uh, built up a very strong movement behind him. Right. Uh, he's run a, a very good campaign, but uh, he's run up against a wall in the Democratic Party. The, Dem- the Democratic Party does not want candidates like like Mr. Sanders. Right. Here in the Green Party, we, we have a, a, a lot of Greens have a lot of admiration for Bernie Sanders. Uh, there are, uh, his, uh, some of his platform is, uh, is excellent, some of it is very good, and there are some uh, strong points of disagreement as well. Uh, we disagree with him on uh, uh, certain foreign policy, such as uh, Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't uh, we don't agree with his decisions in uh, past congressional votes to support more funding for the uh, U.S. military, for instance. Mm-hmm. Well, what is it, your position on Israel and Palestine? Uh, we believe uh, in universal human rights. Uh, we believe in an end to the uh, apartheid system, which is uh, continuing in Israel and the uh, brutal suppression of Palestinian human rights. Uh, and uh, the goal should be security and, uh, and equal rights for all Palestinians and uh, Israelis. And we, we think that uh, military aid, uh, economic aid from the United States, should be withheld from any country that uh, systematically violates human rights like that. No, that would make about uh, a couple of dozen countries, so that would be a good idea, too. I agree. Um, Bernie Sanders gets funding. Uh, you know, I keep bringing him up because it's inevitable when you talk about, uh, you know, alternatives, because he is the only alternative uh, that I've seen in a long time within the party. He gets funding from millions of small donations. Now, I'm sure the Green Party is always counted on that, too. Is it taking away from the funding for the Green Party, the uh, funding for Sanders? Uh, I can't really tell. Uh, really? Like, yeah, sure. well, it's, uh, we, we know that uh, some Greens have gone over to the Sanders campaign temporarily because they like it so much, mm. uh, and they thought for a while that maybe it had a chance, uh, and then they plan to come back to the Green Party, or maybe they already have after they've voted in the, in the Democratic primaries. Uh, we don't like that. We want people to stay with the Green Party and help oh, yeah. build the Green Party. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't make a qualitative, uh, I mean, a quantitative uh, uh, 
assumption about any money that we've lost from uh, because of the Sanders campaign. But well, it's probably in a good fact that the Sanders campaign has benefited us quite a bit because a lot of people are saying, well, with uh, with Mr. Sanders likely defeat at the uh, in the Dem- for the Democratic nomination, uh, the Green Party will be upholding many of the same. Uh, great ideas that he has put forth, and and a lot of even better ideas. So let me ask you this. As the spokesperson for the Green Party, what if, and I'm not counting Sanders out, by the way, and a lot of people aren't completely counting him out, but what if what if Sanders actually turned out to be the nominee? Um, some people would say, uh, automatically, I know a lot of my listeners would say, that for the Green Party, to uh, to uh, to run also whether or not they are admitted to the uh, they won't be admitted to the uh, debates the presidential debates I mean I'd love them to and the libertarians too but I don't think that's going to happen what if it is Sanders and uh, the Green Party runs a candidate and uh, whatever small percentage taken away from Sanders wouldn't that be uh, also like uh, trying to elect uh, wouldn't that be like electing Trump too uh, well. First of all, let me say that if uh, if Bernie Sanders had a pretty good chance at winning the nomination, it would be a much different country uh, than the one we live in now and uh, with a much different Democratic Party than the one we have now. So... Uh, so what does that mean? You don't I, think you don't think uh, he has a chance? I think I think it's a fantasy that he uh, and always was a fantasy that he would win the Democratic nomination. But to to uh, to address that fantasy. Uh, let me say that uh, the Green Party would still be a necessity because we need candidates to uh, green candidates to uh, run for office at all levels. Let me remind you of something. In mm-hmm. uh, 100 years ago, in 1916, uh, five political parties won seats in the U.S. Congress. Hmm. How did uh, what happened between 1916 and 2016? What's the big difference? And uh, a few things happened. First of all, uh, Democratic and Republican lawmakers uh, began to rig their state ballot access laws to privilege their own candidates and to obstruct uh, other candidates, alternative party candidates, and independents. Uh, of course, the Cold War came along and. Uh, uh, further marginalized uh, parties that existed on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for the the American public, unfortunately, bought into this paradigm of uh, only two legitimate parties. So and that's, why, that's why I think 2016 might be a watershed in the sense that people are uh, coming to realize that these two parties that we're stuck with, these two ruling parties, uh, two parties of war and Wall Street, mm-hmm. uh, don't represent America. Uh, well, that's, and, that's uh, the thing they I don't can, represent yeah. America at the presidential level, at the at the congressional level, at the state and local levels. Well, I agree completely, and I'm sure a lot of people do, and I think they're going to show it if it's of these. If this is the two candidates that are up there debating, um, uh, then. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of disaffection from both sides. Uh, maybe to the uh, yeah, probably to the libertarian and to the Green Party. I'm sure of it. You know, I just well, is, I think we're yeah. heading towards we we really are heading towards a crack up in the uh, in the Republican Party. 
uh, I think a lot of traditional Republican voters who are most concerned about their investments, mm-hmm. they want economic stability for the United States, and uh, they look at Donald Trump, and they don't see that. Uh, Donald Trump is very much a wild card. He's an erratic personality. His own, uh, he's a he's a billionaire. Well, maybe he's not. <laughs> maybe he's not. But, uh, but he's also he's also run a lot of his own businesses into the ground. Right. Uh, so if uh, a lot of Republicans are, they have to make a choice right now. Is it party unity and loyalty, or is it uh, the stability of their own security for their own bank accounts and uh, and Wall Street investments? I think what's happening in the Democratic Party is even more profound than that. I think we're, we're finally seeing, uh, which has been a long time coming, uh, a real profound uh, split between two parts of the party, and maybe they will also be in the position of uh, dividing or cracking up after this, you know. That, that split really needs to happen. But I think the, uh, the, dyna- the dynamic in the 2016 election is that uh, so many people will be, a, will be afraid of Donald Trump that they will, uh, will vote for Hillary Clinton, unless Hillary Clinton does something to botch her campaign. Well, I don't think that's uh, that is possible too, and that would not be that would certainly not be the Green Party's fault. Uh, I think all things being equal, right now, it's quite possible we'll see we'll see uh, Hillary Clinton heading for a landslide. Well, but even so, you know, um, if she win, if she wins in a landslide, or if she wins at all. All these people that uh, never considered voting before or who agree with these points of view that uh, Mr. Sanders is bringing up, they're still there, and there are many millions of them, and they don't really want to have anything to do with the Democratic Party anymore because the Democratic Party is a Republican Party light, L-I-T-E. And I think uh, it would be very interesting to see what happens um, in terms of the Green Party uh, attracting a lot of those uh, voters. Well, I think what's going on here is we've got some very big crises here in the 21st century. And at the top of the list, of course, is climate change. But also we're seeing a kind of a new robber baron era emerging in which which we've got this corporate oligarchy that's advancing ahead. And uh, uh, a shrinking middle class and uh, uh, the uh, assault on economic rights and security for working people and the shredding of the safety net for poor people. We're also seeing this uh, mass incarceration, uh, also this, this uh, racial disparities, and this, and, this uh, crazy, of that, endless, endless war. Yeah, and, 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 and also the, this crazy... Neither uh, the Democratic uh, or Republican parties are equipped, are capable of addressing these crises. Well, then people will always bring up, you know, there's two other things, too, that uh, when it comes down to these elections, lesser of two evils... Uh, the Republicans have renewed this bizarre, antique attack on women and women's rights. And also, then there's going to be at least one, maybe two, um, you know, positions on the um, on the Supreme Court, maybe three, for all I know. And you don't want, uh, you'd rather, I mean, a lot of people say they'd rather have uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, the Democrats doing this than, uh, than Trump. It all comes down to this. But I think that it's important that people consider the Green Party and not sort of you know, uh, rule them out of this because Sanders is there. Because if Hillary Clinton goes on and becomes a nominee, 
the millions and millions of people who supported him are going to need a place to put their uh, to put their energy and to put their belief in. And then I, I think the Green Party is set up for that, and maybe also partially the Libertarian Party. So. I appreciate you coming on today and, and, and explaining some of these things. Uh, Scott, you've been listening to Scott McClarty, who's the media coordinator for the Green Party of the United States and for the D.C. Statehood Green Party. And can you just give us the, um, the website for the Green Party so people can get in touch? The, uh, the, the website address is gp.org. That's gp is in greenparty.org. And uh, we hope that uh, listeners take the time to learn more about the Green Party and uh, get to know us. Okay. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. This is Mike Fader, um, once again. The, uh, the Green Party. The Green Party, it's got that... This is just all my personal point of view. I don't know how other people feel about it. But the Green Party, it's got that sort of Ralph Nader-ish. They've always been there, um, you know, uh, what's new? I mean, like a stale feeling, you know. Yeah, oh, the Green Party. But I think uh, we're making a big mistake if we think that way. In Europe... Uh, which has a parliamentary system, which is to say that many, many different parties, sometimes, you know, it goes the other direction, too many different parties, I argue, and they get stuck and nothing much, not much governing can get done. But uh, the Green Party is very powerful in uh, in several European countries. And they are, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is, uh, to put it mildly, um, an anomaly in the increasingly corporate uh, police uh, state uh, orientation of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party and the Republican Party, nobody needs to be told this. So, of course, I'll say it anyhow. Um, are uh, little by little by little by little have gotten to the point where they are uh, touching almost uh, at the edges of each party and um, have become in many ways almost the same party. Um, almost interchangeable um, roles and personalities in terms of the uh, the amount of millionaires involved. You know, what was it? More than half the members of Congress are millionaires and multimillionaires. Some of them have tens of millions of dollars. A couple of them have hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, a lot of those are Democrats. 
a lot of these millionaires uh, who weren't at all before they started working uh, or I should say serving or maybe I should say being <laughs> in Congress. I don't know if those other two words always work out. But, um, you know, they started out with, uh, you know, they well, yeah, a lot of them were lawyers and some were business people and some of them had been, you know, um, had been successful in other ways. But many, many, many people, including many Democrats, look at the Clintons, uh, came in there with uh, practically nothing or very little and uh, wound up uh, multiplying their fortunes by a tremendous amount of money. The worst of them all is Nancy Pelosi, of course. You look into her uh, access to inside information and her insider trading in the stock market, her husband, who's made tons of money uh, off government contracts. I mean, there's plenty of that. So, and when it comes to wars, Hillary Clinton, did she ever meet a war that she didn't like? She loves, uh, you know, I think one of the, the primary things, I think the primary thing that she'll want to do if she gets elected president is to, uh, you know, Trump talks about making America great again. I don't even know what he means when he says anything. Does anybody know what he means when he says anything? Or, now he's already on his, um, you know, kiss the ass of the rich Republican donors tour of America. And the Republican Party has now decided that uh, he's okay with them, and um, he's decided that he's going to take all the uh, Republican Party donor money he can get from rich people. So that was inevitable, I think. Um, there was not going to be any tremendous smash-up at, at the Republican convention. They've already sort of fixed that, using the word fixed specifically. But the Democrats, you know, they uh, Hillary Clinton wants to be seen as, I think this is for various reasons, psychological, uh, gender-oriented, um, and maybe it's in her nature too. Probably it's in her nature. I think she's a fierce person. I think she's uh, a warlike person, more than Barack Obama, who's done plenty of warlike, uh, made plenty of warlike moves when he's been in the White House, increased all of the uh, military, uh, not necessarily funding for weapons, but hasn't done much about it, although who could at this point? But he has overseen surges in Afghanistan, uh, putting more troops now in Iraq, uh, special operations here. Uh, dozens and dozens of countries now see American uh, military presence in there, covert or overt, uh, under Barack Obama. And he still never closed Guantanamo. I think she's even more warlike than Barack Obama ever wanted to be. Barack Obama likes to talk to people. He does like to talk to people. He doesn't want to just draw a line like John Wayne all the time. And that's one reason why the Republicans don't like him, and some Democrats think he's weak. A lot of people think he's weak that way. I like to see that in international affairs. I like to see that with the United States in relation to the rest of the world. I wish he was stronger when it comes to um, his uh, behavior uh, in fighting for things uh, in a domestic way. I don't think he's been strong enough uh, at all. I don't think he's used, even though there's this tremendous blockade consisting of bigotry, stupidity, and everything else by the Republicans against anything that he's wanted to do that would benefit the majority of the American people. Um, he's had to fight against something like this more than almost any other president I've ever, maybe more than any president ever has. It's extraordinary. Um, but um, still, I think he could have used his public position and power and his innate articulation and charm to convince uh, the American people to sort of overrule uh, the, um, you know, the current setup in Congress. And maybe he could have worked a little harder 
to get people to get this message straight to other people. And it's not, maybe not fair to compare him to other people, the presidents. But I like it that Roosevelt uh, used his also his tremendous charm and his uh, articulate, passionate uh, speech making. Uh, Obama is not very passionate when he speaks. But uh, Roosevelt used his position as president and his innate talents to over, like overrule in many cases, uh, you know, the uh, hesitation or even the con- various conservative movements in his own party and in the Republican Party when he was president. Sometimes he went too far with that, like you know, trying to pack the Supreme Court. But um, Hillary Clinton will be very uh, warlike. You will see an increase uh, in the already outrageously bloated an absurdly large military budget, you will see more troops in more places. You may see America's... uh, She may try to face down Putin and China and everybody else. So, you know, that's the way it is. Trump, Trump, (laughs) intuitively, I feel, Trump would be even more peaceful in his own way. He likes to talk to people, too. Maybe he would like to make deals with these people, but he's too ignorant and has no idea. I mean, aside from Sarah Palin and George Bush, I think he's probably the most ignorant person who's ever run for uh, for this uh, presidential uh, office. Anyhow, speaking of uh, traveling around the world and and speaking to people, a lot of people were upset about uh, Barack Obama uh, when he was first elected, and a couple of times later on when he went to, uh, I think it was Egypt, and he went to various other countries, and. Um, he was trying to, uh, you know, build a bridge between the United States and these countries. He was going to different Muslim countries. He was, um, and people consider this very weak. And some people called it an apology tour, an apology tour. <laughs> to anything that's less than, uh, than, you know, take the steel toe of your boot and kick somebody in the, uh, in the political and, uh, you know, military balls uh, is considered uh, weak. You know, if we're not strong, we're weak. If we don't overwhelm other people and show them who's the boss and who's got the uh, bigger, longer, more explosive, uh, you know, um, projectiles, <laughs> then, then you're weak. You know, you're weak. You're just a uh, weakling. You're a wussy. And uh, Hillary Clinton will never be seen that way. That's for damn sure. Uh, and, well, anyhow, so the latest... Uh, trip that Obama's taking, which is fascinating to me for all sorts of reasons, is he's going to visit Hiroshima. He is going to Japan, uh, maybe as part of talks that he's going to have more talks with the Japanese because of all the stuff that's going on with China. But when he's there, he's going to visit Hiroshima. He's not going to go to Nagasaki, but he's visiting Hiroshima. And he is going to the memorial that they have there, which I think is set uh, and a little sort of museum attached to it, or maybe a big museum attached to it. If you remember um, that iconic photograph of the dome that uh, that exists in Hiroshima that was left after the um, after the uh, explo- after the atomic explosion uh, in 1945, I think it was July 6th, was it 1945? And you remember that uh, that dome was was still there uh, and still exists there. How it this was standing after it was almost ground zero. I really don't understand. Uh, anyhow, he's going over to visit there, and there's been a tremendous argument among people uh, in his own staff, apparently, and um, uh, certainly in people in Congress, that uh, you know he in no way, they want to make it clear that he in no way is going to issue an apology for what happened. 
He's not going to issue an apology for what happened. He's not going over there to Hiroshima to apologize to the Japanese people for uh, the Americans dropping the uh, first atomic bomb and the only atomic weapon uh, that was used, including Nagasaki, I guess it makes two weapons, during the entire history of atomic weapons, which is now usable atomic weapons have been available in the world uh, since the first United States atomic weapons for, what is it now, 55, 16, quick, <laughs> 70 years. For 70 years, we've had this weapon, these weapons, and they are more powerful now than they've ever been. You know, it was the H-bomb after that, the child of Dr., uh, you know, um, Dr. Edward Teller. Dr. Edward Teller maybe has other children, but one of his uh, children was the atomic, the eight, the, you know, the hydrogen bomb. Uh, and so these weapons and the delivery systems and the number of them is extraordinary. Now, one thing that Obama has done, which is very positive, is, and he intended to do this when he came into office, was to reduce the amount of weapons, the nuclear weapons, uh, nuclear missiles, nuclear weapons, uh, that were uh, available in the stockpiles of uh, various countries in the world. And he has had some success with that. He has had some success, some success, uh, success reducing the number of nuclear weapons. And good for him, right? Although... Uh, a study done in the last couple of years by who knows who, uh, I guess it's the military in, in uh, cooperation with, uh, you know, with weapons manufacturers and weapons corporations, and I don't think there's any difference. One is either a subdivision of the other or they are interlocking directorates, you know, the military and um, major weapons corporations. They've discovered that our nuclear arsenal is uh, antiquated that it is decaying. So uh, President uh, Obama has mentioned that will, it will cost in the next few years a trillion dollars to renovate and to renovate the existing uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear weapons delivery systems and to build uh, new nuclear weapons and delivery systems uh, to replace the old uh, decaying ones which, of course, will start a new arms race. So I don't know, you know, that he's doing this at the same time he tried to reduce the amount of nuclear weapons in the world, but he's going to build our arsenal up so that he's going to renew it and make it newer and more powerful. I don't know what this means. I mean, he got the Nobel Peace Prize primarily because he had sought so hard and with success, some success to reduce nuclear weapons. Anyhow, he's going to Hiroshima, and he's going to go visit this. He's the first American president since this bomb was dropped who is going to the city of Hiroshima, which has now been rebuilt, and it looks like a very sort of modern, you know, uh, city. Uh, he's going to go there, and he's going to visit this museum, and people take that as an apology. Well, apology or not, the fact that he's going there is an acknowledgement, and this is something that I always felt that he was interested in and he would do much more of if he uh, wasn't having to battle um, these hard-ons and fools in the Republican Party in Congress, uh, that we would, he would be, the world would be a safer place if he wasn't being convinced all the time by his own generals. I don't believe he's like Hillary Clinton at all. I believe he's essentially, probably, a peaceful man. Um, whether or not he's devious, whether he's done some really awful things, look at the NSA spying, that's, you know, something separate. But 
if it was left up to him and he wasn't being influenced or when he was threatened or whatever uh, by people in his own party to, uh, to you know, have surges of troops in various places to send more special ops troops in, all these kinds of things. There's some noise going on somewhere. Can you hear it? I don't know. Um, oh, all right. Um, sound like construction somewhere outside the studio. Um, um, he really likes to talk to people. He likes to negotiate. He wants to go all over the world and sit down with people and talk to them. Why um, he has been restrained from doing this, that's a long, complicated story. But, I mean, he is definitely under various pressures not to do this. It shows, quote-unquote, weakness. And I'm, I'm very glad that he is going to Hiroshima. I'm glad he's going to Hiroshima. And he's not apologizing. Now, it is a question, a philosophical and... Um, I don't know. It's like a philosophical question. Can, what if he wanted to apologize for what the Americans did? Does that mean uh, forgiving the Japanese for everything they did everywhere? The Japanese were astoundingly, almost incomprehensibly brutal. It wasn't just their attack on Pearl Harbor and the way they fought the Americans. I mean, that was a clash of empires in a way and almost inevitable. Um, but what they did in, in Asia, what they did in China, was outrageous. I mean, the Japanese are responsible for mass murder uh, in the millions, in the, maybe in the tens of millions of people uh, who were completely innocent. Uh, Nanking in China, it's called The Rape of Nanking. There's a book about it. There are books about it. Uh, they uh, were brutal, and they just murdered people. Um, and so if he was to go there and apologize for what we did to them, could people separate that out from what the Japanese did? The Japanese have never really issued. They haven't been like the Germans. They have not admitted culturally or historically in textbooks and in other ways or in various uh, uh, you know, museums and dedications to what happened in the war. They have not admitted uh, their guilt for mass murder and brutality the way the Germans, for instance, have. Not that it changes anything, but it does show that um, the Germans have gone, um, well, I don't know. How can you measure a thing like this? Is there a measurement for how far uh, such outrageous crimes can be, uh, can be measured on a scale of forgiveness or, or apology? But the Germans have done far more than the Japanese. The Japanese are very much behind they are very much behind the Germans in apologizing for the brutality and the murder and uh, the, the horror of their behavior in, uh, in World War II. Uh, it has to do with, uh, with uh, sexual slavery of thousands and thousands of uh, Chinese women and Korean women. Uh, it has to do with just mass murder of civilians and uh, extremely brutal torturing that they did of uh, captured troops, for instance, which the Germans had done too. But there's no sense in getting into a comparison between these two uh, bestial regimes, bestial, is it bestial or bestial regimes uh, from the 40s and during the war. So he's going to Hiroshima, and I'm glad he's going to Hiroshima. And it will be not necessarily an apology. Uh, the point was, how can you apologize for something that happened in different situations, in different political and military uh, situation 70 years ago. He can't apologize for what Truman's decision was. He can't apologize. I mean, the soldiers who were fighting in the Pacific, the American soldiers who were fighting in the Pacific, ultimately, if the Japanese didn't surrender, they were going to have to invade the main islands of Japan. 
And they figured, uh, the estimates were, that uh, tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of American troops would be killed and wounded. And the, the public was tired of it. There was no need for doing that. We could have just starved them out. But there was an, a, an invasion that was scheduled. And the idea was that the bomb short-circuited this. The bomb short-circuited this. So how could uh, you know, a current sitting president apologize for what happened back then? Um, it's, a, it's a very thorny, sort of complicated question. And then there's always the old thought, well, how come they didn't just drop the bomb someplace where the Japanese could see it in a neutral place on an island and then they would know? Well, that didn't happen. And maybe there was a question of revenge, too. Uh, the bombing of Hiroshima, uh, Hiroshima, by the way, also wasn't just a city of civilians. Uh, it turns out from uh, you know, a lot of history that's been done and explored that it was also a mass production center for a lot of um, military personnel and weapons making. So very complicated stuff. But I applaud the man for going to visit Hiroshima. I applaud him for doing that. It's not the kind of thing Hillary Clinton would ever do. So good for Obama. And um, he'll suffer for it, but what does he care anymore? He's near the end of uh, the term there. All right, and there's more about this uh, this stuff about the atomic bomb. I'm reading a fascinating book called The Making of the Atomic Bomb. It's written by Richard Rhodes, and I'm going to talk much more about that as time goes on. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it, having to do with uh, the scientists who develop it and what happened during World War II and the ethical questions involved. Okay, that's it for this week. I will see you next week. Faderfiles.com if you want to get in touch with me. Temptation, or your hands will 
Down in the hole, way down in the hole. 